Hi brothers and sisters um, in Cornerstone across the pond. Um, I just want to thank you um, for having me back for part two of the two-part sermon series, which is praying by faith by putting faith back into prayer. So just a quick recap on last week to set a bit of context. We looked at um, praying by faith by putting faith back into prayer and we addressed these with the first two P's out of the four P's which I will which I'm addressing. So we looked at the privilege of prayer and what we looked at in the privilege of prayer was having a high um, view of who God is and that he is this all-powerful and all-wonderful God um, and what a privilege it is that we can actually pray to him and actually what a confidence and a faith booster it truly is that we can come to this God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and that he is our God, he is our refuge and he is the one who aids us. My, the second point we looked at then was the promise of prayer and the promise of prayer was that it was both pivotal and pleasing um, to God in his overall um, salvation plan right and we looked at Revelations 5 for this and we saw that our prayers were actually being stored up in golden bowls um, and in that we looked to to address the putting faith back into prayer but just being like our prayers are actually pleasing to God they're being stored up and they're pivotal and being used for his salvation plan. So this week, we're going to have a look at the last two P's of prayer, which are the power of prayer. And lastly is the plea for prayer. So firstly, the power of prayer. Firstly, I just want to go to James 5.17. And it says this, The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. It says here that Elijah, this same guy who stopped rain for three years, or the same guy who actually called down fire from heaven to baptize this altar with fire, was just a regular man like you and I. But he was a guy who had the power of prayer. To address this power of prayer, I thought there's no better way to, to display the power of prayer other than through testimony of the power of prayer. We could have a look at biblical testimonies because the Bible is littered with um, biblical testimonies of powerful prayers being answered. We could have a look at Moses' Moses's answered intercession for the Israelites in Exodus 32, where instead of all the Israelites being wiped out, only 3,000 were wiped out. Or we could turn to Joshua, where Joshua actually prayed um, and the sun actually stood still in the sky. That was his answered prayer. Or again, we could look at Elijah and when he prayed fervently, it stopped raining for three years. And when he prayed again, that it actually started raining again. We could look at these biblical prayers, but I don't want to look at biblical prayers today because I want to demonstrate to you that God is the same yesterday he is the same today and he is the same forever. That the God of the Bible is still working wonderful, powerful, miracle prayers through ordinary saints. And the first testimony that I want to give today is the testimony of George Muller. George Muller was born in the 1800s and he was a Christian evangelist and he was um, uh, an orphan found, uh, founder, an orphanage founder and an orphanage coordinator. What set this man apart and what made him quite famous in the Christian world, though, was that he was a man of prayer. 
that he was a man that actually wanted to, his life to be a testimony of the power of prayer. And he wanted to demonstrate to us as Christians that God is still the same God who answers prayers and that he is still the same God who will supply all our needs according to that in Christ Jesus. And actually, in, throughout his life, he, um, he wrote down and he journaled over 50,000 answers to prayers. 50,000 answers to prayers. He was a man who never asked for money. He was, he was never a man who, who ran campaigns or to, to get publicity in or to um, draw in money for the works that the Lord had him to do. But he truly believed that he could just go to the Lord and the Lord would provide over his lifetime, it is equated that in today's money, he had over a hundred and fifty million pounds worth of aid given to him for his ventures. Over hundred and fifty million pounds. This was a guy who didn't even ask for salary from his church, but he put an honesty box at the back of his church, and he believed that God, in His sovereignty, would bless his prayers, and He would fill it with exactly what he needed. With this, with this 150 million pounds worth of prayer, he was able to care for and school uh, uh, over 120,000 orphans in this town called Bristol in England. Over 120,000. Think of the size of that. Think of the size of this prayers for this man. Also with this money, he was able to supply over a third of Hudson Taylor's China Inland Missions Fund. Over a third of the funding. He was able to provide, and this was just through the power of prayer. And Hudson Taylor's scope was massive. He went to China and he was able to share the gospel in pioneering missions throughout China. And a third of his finance came from Hudson Taylor, uh, came from George Muller. Also, George Muller traveled over 200,000 miles and he preached in 42 countries. And all of this was done through the provision of prayer. There's one story that I really want to focus on today out of the 50,000 prayers and answer prayers in his journals. And this is what it says. One morning, all the plates and the cups and the bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and there was no money to buy food. The children were standing waiting for their morning meal when Muller said, Children, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, Thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. Then there was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and he said, Mr. Muller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to get, send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and I have brought it. George Muller thanked the baker and no sooner after he had left, there was a second knock on the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so that he could empty his wagon to repair it. Isn't this just amazing, the power of prayer? That George Miller didn't have enough food for this thing but believe that, but believe that God would provide. And God sent him the baker at two in the morning to bake bread and he sovereignly brought, broke down that milk cart right outside the orphanage so that the orphans had milk. This guy believed in faith. He, he didn't pray, Lord, please send food. He actually thanked the Lord for the food that was already going to be sent. It can't help but uh, mirror to me uh, Jesus's story when he fed the 5,000. He just blessed the loaves and he handed them out and they were able to feed all the 5,000. 
And here we see this prayer of power, this prayer of faith by Muller. And he just thanked the Lord for the food that would be provided. And there was the knock at the door with God's provision. I just think that's amazing, right? How God glorifying that testimony is. How often do we rely on our own strength in, this, in the weak arm of the flesh rather than coming to God and relying on the strong arm of the Lord in prayer? In our weak arm, we don't glorify God, but when we pray and we ask God to do impossible things, he is glorified through this. My second testimony of the power of prayer comes from the evangelist of D.L. Moody. So he came to England from America um, to listen to some preachers. He intended not to do any preaching at the time, but he just wanted to listen to some of the preachers of the time and to glean some of their craft and some of their, their, their knowledge ready to take back home. However, whilst he was over here, a pastor came up and asked him to come and pray in his small congregation, in his moderate congregation. So D.L. Moody said, and he went against what he was going to do, and he said, okay, I'll come. He preached in that first morning, and when he preached, he likened the crowd to it being more lively in a graveyard than it was inside that, sermon, inside that church. Everyone was disinterested, everyone was twiddling their thumbs, everyone was thinking about that nice roast dinner back at home, but none of them were listening to him. He felt so dejected. He just wanted to go home. But he was faithful to God and he said, no, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to preach tonight as well, and I'm going to be faithful to the man who has asked me to preach. So he came back and he preached and his sermons were no different, his content was no different, his style was no different, and he preached the sermon. But he felt like he should get people to stand up and ask if they should give their life to the Lord. So he said after his sermon, stand guys, if you want to give your life to the Lord. And the majority of the church stood up. He couldn't believe it. He, he couldn't believe it. He was so shocked. He was so shocked. They actually told him, sit back down, guys. I'm going to run through the gospel again because I must have said this wrong. So he ran through the gospel again. He unpacked it more fully and... Uh, and he said it more clearly. And then he said, okay, guys, stand again if you want to give your life to the Lord. And actually more people stood up in the church. He was bemused. He could not believe what he was seeing. So he told them to sit back down again. And then he unpacked the gospel even more fully and more clearly. But this time he said, I'm going to leave the church, guys. And if you still want to give your life to the Lord, come and see me in the side room. And then we'll, we'll do something there. So he, so he unpacked the gospel, sent them out. And he went into the side room. And I tell you what, that side room was absolutely jam-packed and there were even more people there. And he still couldn't believe it. So he unpacked the gospel yet again and he said, in the midweek meeting, come see your other pastor and you still want to give your life to the Lord, go do that. After he had preached that night, he went to go and travel to Ireland where he was going to go after that. But he got a telegram from the church that he had just been, from the pastor saying, you have to come back. There was even more people at the prayer meeting. He couldn't believe this. So he went back and he started doing ministry for about a week. And in that ministry, over 400 people were added to the church. Muller knew that something, uh, uh, not Muller, sorry, Moody knew that something had changed uh, from that first sermon when no one was listening and they were dead bored to 400 people being added. So he started playing detective and he went and did an investigation. And his investigation led him to this woman. And this woman's name was Marion Adlard. She was a faithful uh, go of the church, just an ordinary Christian of that church that he preached at. And she had actually been praying for Moody to come for years and to preach at that church. 
However, the day that he came to preach, she was actually laid up in hospital, sick, and she couldn't come. However, one of the women who came to the morning service came to her and said how the service had gone after the service had happened. And she said he was totally ordinary. People were dejected and uh, people weren't even listening and, and it just wasn't any good. So Marion Adler set aside her food for the day and she said, I'm going to pray and fast that the Lord will work through Moody and he would do a mighty work in that church. And that is what happened. The difference between the morning service and the, the last service is this one woman's power of prayer, the belief in prayer. An ordinary woman and over 400 people were added to this church. Do we believe in the power of prayer that God can still do these miracles, that he can bring up food for orphans? By, by, by breaking down a truck or by waking up a baker at 2 a.m.? Do we believe that God, through the hour prayer, that can bring over 400 people into that church? Do we truly believe that? Muller says this quote, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. I repeat that again. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that in which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Lastly, I want to give a testimony of my own because I think that is helpful. So a few, well, a couple of months back, a couple of friends of Anne and I went to go and evangelise in a local town. And before evangelising, uh, I went and I went in a time of prayer and fasting. And I was doing, uh, I was reading Acts and the story of Acts where the, the saints pray for boldness. And they pray the prayer to God saying, all sovereign lords, and they, they display this. But then they say, um, now give us boldness to preach whilst you stretch forth your hands in signs and wonders. They prayed a prayer that God would glorify his name through the boldness of praying, uh, preaching boldly and, and applying his hand to do signs and wonders. And that morning, I was like, Lord, you are still the same God yesterday. And you're still the same God that worked through this prayer. Your, your aim is still the same. Your glory is still the same. You still want people to be saved. So, Lord, I pray this prayer for us today. I pray, Lord God, that you will help us to preach boldly. And I pray, Lord God, that you will stretch forth your hands in signs and wonders. We, we then went to a prayer meeting uh, just before we going out and we prayed together before evangelizing. The Lord really worked. And, and yet again, we prayed that prayer in Acts. And praying it for ourselves that God would do this. I myself and someone else preached for the very first times and we had never preached before. And the Lord helped us to preach boldly, truly. And what happened after that was truly signs and wonders. We, had, we were getting words of wisdom for people. There were people who were even attending church who were caught in witchcraft and, and, and uh, sorcery and stuff. And God was giving us words of wisdom to, to um, convict these people, and to pull them out of their error. There were other people who were getting words of wisdom, which we had no knowledge about at all. And we even saw healings. There was this man who, he was a major um, from, uh, from the SAS, which is like, which is Britain's most hardcore army unit. And he was a major from that. And he had actually been shot uh, through his leg, and he wasn't too able to walk properly. However, after we had preached, we stopped and we prayed for him, and two of us prayed for him, not myself. But... Um, but he was actually healed that day and he was able to weight bear on that leg for the first time without using a crutch for the very first time. 
The guy cried his eyes out and he gave his life to the Lord. This was a true answer to prayer. This was an answer to the prayer that he is the same God yesterday, that he can work powerful miracles through our prayers, the prayers of the saints. I just hope with these three testimonies that I've shared with you today, that it just gives you faith in the power that is prayer and that you will start to pray in faith. Lastly, I want to have a look at the plea for prayer. Prayer is the most important thing that we as Christians can do. This is as George Muller says, we are setting aside our strength and we start to calling on God's strength. When we pray, it is like we are going over to the side of the wrestling ring and we are tag teaming our tag team partner into the ring to fight in our place. And who is our wrestling partner we have in our corner? It is the Lord God Almighty who created heaven and earth. He is our tag team partner. And that is what we do when we praise. We ask him to fight for us. When, I'm, when we look at the plea for prayer, I want to look into examples in the Bible and, and just by their living example, how that is a plea for us to pray. First, I want to look at the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was a man who prayed. He was the God man who prayed and he showed us the proper way. His, his ministry is littered through prayers and I just want to show this to you and I, I just want to demonstrate this to you in a few verses just from a couple of the Gospels. It says this in Matthew 14, 23, when he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. So immediately after he had ministered and he'd been doing his signs and his wonders, he went to a secluded area to pray with God. In Luke 6, 12, it says, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the entire night in prayer to God. So this was, this was Jesus and he knew that prayer was even more important than sleep and he went away to be with God and spend time in prayer. In Mark 1.35, it says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went to, away to a secluded place to pray there. Jesus went and prayed in all situations at all kinds of days. Prayer was a fundamental and it is an example to us and a plea for us to pray. It's funny, in, in, in the Bible, there is only one recorded discipline of Jesus that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. It wasn't, he didn't, they didn't ask him, okay, can, can you teach us how to do miracles? Or can you teach us how to heal or how to cast out demons? No. What was it that they actually asked him? They said, teach us to pray. What does that actually say to us? What does that communicate? Jesus' prayer life must have looked second to none. They must have saw something that was so awe-inspiring in his prayer life. And they were like, flip, Lord, teach us to pray. You're doing something here. And also that it must have said to them just how pivotal his prayer life must have been to doing the works that he was doing. Because he was always going off to pray. And they were like, we need to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray. And so he did. My second example for the plea of prayer is the early church's example of prayer. In Acts 6, 4, it says, but we give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What was happening in Acts 6 was actually the apostles were being, um, they had all these other parts of the ministry of feeding people and stuff like that within the church. And they were actually found like they couldn't be doing all these different things. So they delegated the, the feeding of people to other people in the church. And why did they do this? So that we can give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
Do you see how pivotal and important it was to the apostles to pray? We need to make sure that we're not busy all the time and that we actually spend time in prayer. In Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves, this is the church, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Look at these fundamental principles of the early church. They, they, they went and devoted themselves to the teaching, to fellowship with one another, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Prayer is one of those fundamental principles for the early church. When God was truly moving and doing an almighty thing, like that book of Acts is doing, prayer was a fundamental for the apostles and for the early church. And lastly, for my example, was Acts 16, 25 to 26. And it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flung open, and everyone's chains came loose. Look what Paul and Silas were doing. They were praying and singing hymns to God. They were just praying and God came and he did, an, he did a miracle. He did something powerful and he, he sent an earthquake and it set them free from the prison. But even in hardship, even in times where we are stuck, prayer is essential. We must pray at all times. It is quoted to say that Martin Luther said, I am so busy, I must devote myself to three hours of prayer. Guys, do we ever find ourselves so busy and so hemmed in and so overcome with the, work, with the weight of the world and what's pressing in on us that we spend three hours in prayer? Or do we go and address the other things in life and we only spend three minutes in prayer? Robert Murray McShane, who was one of the greatest pastors of Britain, he, he was from Scotland and the Lord used him in revival and he did an almighty thing through his life. But he says this about prayer. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. Could we not substitute that word man for church? What a church is on its knees, that it is, and nothing more. That a church is on its knees, that it is, and nothing more. I ask you guys, in regards to the plea for prayer, what is going to be our example? What is mine and yours? What is Cornerstone's example going to be? My plea for both of us is that we pray in faith. So are we going to start praying in faith? We have seen the privilege of what prayer is, of that we come before the Almighty God who rules over all. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That he has seen all things, that he rules over all things. And that is him that we are coming to and asking for help. Do we see the promise of prayer that the Lord finds our prayers both pleasing and pivotal to what he does? And do we see the power of prayer through the testimonies and through the examples of Muller and, and through um, the lady from uh, Moody's story? Do we see these things and does this not install within us the want to pray uh, to want to pray in faith? To pray by faith though, I would say that we must start praying. Just as true as it is with a chair taking our weight, doesn't come from knowing that it will take our weight. No, but the faith comes from acting upon that knowledge and actually sitting on that chair. Faith doesn't come in the knowing, but in the doing of that knowledge. For us to pray by faith doesn't come from knowledge, but it comes from starting to believe and to pray by faith.
I have to ask you some searching questions now, guys, in regards to the plea for prayer, based on what we have learnt about praying in faith over the last few weeks. I ask you, how much do you want to see God move? How much do you want to see God move in your society, in our churches, in our families, in our very own lives? How much do we want to see him glorified and his name lifted high and his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? How seriously as a church are we going to take this? In Hebrews eleven six, it says this. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws nearest to him must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That we must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. I ask you guys, how diligently are we going to seek him? Is any diligence in seeking God to move too drastic or too much? Whether our prayer meetings became prayer days, or perhaps our prayer days became a 24-hour, seven days a week offering of incense and the filling up of the golden bowls, which are the prayers of the incense of the saint. Is this too drastic to show our God as a church how dependent we are upon his spirit? Is this too drastic? According to Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, it isn't. Because it says this, that we are to pray without ceasing as this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus is that we pray without ceasing, without stopping. So the Bible is telling us, no, this isn't too drastic, but this is actually a fundamental principle for us as Christians and as a ministry for a church. Perhaps whether we prayed for or had prayer meetings before the church service even began, just pleading for the spirit of the Lord to work through the worship, to work through the pastor and to draw people in. Is anything too drastic to see our God move? I guess the question we need to ask ourselves is how much do we really want to see God move? Matthew 21, 13, Jesus said this, my father's house is a house of prayer. Jesus himself said that the temple was a house of prayer. I wonder what it would be like if I and what it was if Cornerstone took this statement and applied it to ourselves and we made the church an example of a house of prayer, that we make Cornerstone an example as a house of prayer. Guys, the Lord's just been showing me a lot recently. I've I've spent a lot of time over the last two months on on prayer um, and speaking to the Lord about it. And in my time with the Lord, I believe he's just been saying a lot to me. And I truly believe that it is a move of the Spirit of God who can help us out of the situation we currently find ourselves in in this world. He is the only one who can draw people into the empty church. The only one who can make truth reign again in a society where there is no truth or no absolute truth left. I believe it is only the spirit of the Lord who can open blind eyes, deaf ears and who can uh, unharden cold and stony hearts. I believe it is only the spirit of God who can reconcile broken families, redeem lost loved ones and restore misplaced identities. This spirit of the Lord is the one who will make us love the Lord with all our heart, mind and strength. 
It is this spirit of the Lord who will make us be lovers of his word and who will embolden us to share the gospel to this dying world. It is not man's might that we need, but it is his spirit that saves the Lord. So how about we start praying for him to come? How about we start saying, okay, no more of our own strength, but let's start seeking God's strength and ask him to sort out our mess and the dark situation that we find this world in. I believe the Lord has said to me over the last couple of months, Josh, you can pray a thousand prayers to deal with a thousand problems, or you can just pray one prayer which deals with a thousand problems. And that is for me to come back with my spirit to intercede and to come again in revival. I truly believe this. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says this, If my people, if you, Cornerstone, and me, who bear his name, humble ourselves, if we pray and seek his face and turn from our evil ways, then God will hear from heaven that he will forgive us our sins and that he will heal our land. This is a promise from God that if we seek his face and we repent and humble ourselves, then God will be the one who heals our land. He can do the impossible thing. But I ask you guys, how much do we want to see that happen? Are we, are we willing to put away our distractions? Are we potentially able to put away our movies? Are we even able to put away our pleasures of life? Are we able to, to put away the, the foods that we so want? And are we willing to fast and humble ourselves and pray and be like, Lord, can you help us? Can you return in your power? Can you save us from this hole that we have dug ourselves into of this world? Are we willing to diligently seek after him and pray for God to move? I want to leave you with one quote from Charles Spurgeon, who is one of the greatest preachers ever. He is coined the Prince of Preachers. And he says this, Prayer pulls the rope below, and the great bells ring above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly, or they pray so weakly. Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope, but he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. What kind of church are you going to be, Cornerstone? What kind of man am I going to be? Are you going to be a church that scarcely stirs the bell due to its languid or weak pulling? Are you going to be a church that gives the occasional pluck at the rope? Or are you going to be the church known in heaven that has grabbed hold of that rope with all its might and has incessantly rung the bells of heaven and through the power of of prayer has won over heaven? Are you going to be a church that constantly gives up incense of prayer, which are the prayers of the saints? I leave that with you. I just want to say a prayer. Father, Lord, I just thank you that it isn't by our might, but it is by your spirit, Lord, that things are done. Lord God, sometimes I feel for myself and probably for Christians further afield, Lord, that we don't come to your spirit as much as the early church did. We didn't rely, we don't rely on your spirit to do the wonders, to do the miracles, to do the preaching. 
We don't pray enough in reliance upon your spirit, Lord. And we tend to rely on the arm of the flesh. But I ask you, Lord God, that this will be such a time where we start seeking your face. Where we start asking you to come and be the, the, the sun in the, in the solar system, as it were. That you would take up the rightful place in this world. And that you will put order back into place, Lord. That you will bring light and truth back into our societies. That you'll bring power back into the church, Lord God. And that your presence will be known so tangibly. Lord, in Psalm 90, it says, um, it says let us know the joy of the Lord. Um, amongst us and let our children know the glory of the Lord will you establish our steps Lord establish the work of our hands Lord I pray this right now that you will do this I pray Lord God a prayer for this church that this prayer will be this church will be um, a church known for prayer I pray Lord God that there is someone in that church today that is feeling the call for this to be a ministry of their life to pray Lord for it is a fundamental ministry for a church and I pray, Lord God, that you'll speak to that person today. But I pray, Lord God, that you will please bring this church into a, into a place of praying by faith, knowing that you are a God who is all-powerful, knowing that you are a God who listens to our prayers and you act upon our prayers, knowing that you are a God who does miracles and wonders through the prayers of the saints. Lord God, I pray that this faith in prayer will be so... Um, restored in the church that it will be fired up and lord god i just pray in the coming months that you will do wonders through that church that you will do wonders through their prayer life and through their prayer ministry lord god and that you will just reveal to themselves more of who you are that you will be glorified through their prayers that you'll be glorified through their church lord god and i just pray lord god right now that you will be glorified in my life and I pray, Lord God, that your kingdom will come and your will will be done in this world right now as it is in heaven. Deliver us from the evil one, I pray. Give us our daily bread, Lord God. Forgive us our sins and will you reconcile us to each other, Lord, as we forgive the sins of others. Will your kingdom come through your prayers, through our prayers, Lord God. Lord, may it be all to your glory and I thank you for the privilege of today and I just pray, Lord God, that you will bless my brothers and sisters in Cornerstone as they go about their week. I ask this in Jesus' name and for the glory of your name, Lord. Amen.